0: listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. The title of my sermon this morning is Becoming Christian. Becoming Christian. If you've been tuning in with us uh, these last few weeks as i've been preaching maybe you'll notice that each one of these sermons are very intentional they're not just you know things i feel like preaching on they're they're all connected and they're all like laying some themes that are going to serve us well when we get into our big series this fall Uh, this september second week of september we're going to be launching out onto our uh, journey through the beatitudes and really into the Sermon on the Mount. We'll pick up the Sermon on the Mount as a, in its entirety uh, beginning, uh, coming out of Advent and Christmas. So um, right now we're just kind of laying the groundwork and, and all of these sermons are gonna be very important uh, even in service to that series. But, uh, but this sermon here is, is no exception, Becoming Christian. Let's look at our text this morning. We're gonna be in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And we'll look at verses 16 through 20. We we often call this the Great Commission. And it's very important for us to pay attention to this if we're interested in carrying the work of God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, you'll remember at this point, Judas is off the scene. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and remember that. I am with you always to the end of the age let's just pause a moment we're gonna direct our hearts in worship to hear what God has to say to us Lord I pray in these next few moments we just consecrate this time to you we set aside anything internally externally that might try to compete for our attention And we dedicate these next few moments to hearing what you would have to say. Not just listening to a guy on on a platform, but we're here to hear deeply what your spirit is saying to us, individually, collectively. So, Lord, we invite you right now. Speak to the very core of our beings. And may your heavenly agenda be carried out in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. So this text that we read in Matthew 28, it refers to these 11 men as disciples. What is a disciple? When you hear the word disciple, what comes to mind? Um, and and I, think, I think for many of us, myself included, when you hear about discipleship, disciples, we, we think, well, that's a guy who uh, wears a, a long flowing robe and sandals that walks around following Jesus. No. Um, it may surprise you to learn discipleship was actually a concept that originally had no strict, strictly religious overtone. A disciple is just simply someone who has found a person who has mastered something. They've mastered a particular skill or art or philosophy or talent or whatever. But, but this is a person who has excelled at this. And the disciple says, I want to learn everything this person knows. I want to attach myself to this person and I want to become their student. I want to become an apprentice and learn their craft, learn their art, learn their, their body of knowledge. Whatever it is this person has excelled in, I want to excel at in my life. And so Plato had disciples. Aristotle had disciples. Michelangelo, the famous painter-sculptor, had disciples. Mozart, you know, virtually anybody who you can think of across history who, who you would say this person has mastered something. They had apprentices more more likely than not. They had students who had gathered to learn uh, that particular craft. And so that's what a disciple is. A disciple says, teach me everything you know. You've obviously figured something out. And I want to acquire that and assimilate that into my life. So here's the question. What is the particular skill or art or philosophy or body of knowledge that caused these originally 12 men to attach themselves to Jesus, who they call Master, Rabbi. What is it that they were trying to learn from Jesus? Were they trying to learn how to get to heaven when they die? Is that what they were trying to learn? I wanna insist to you that is not what they were trying to learn. But what was it? What was it about him? I mean, with Jesus, it was just, there was this particular way of living this way of loving indiscriminately, a way of being present in the world that, that these disciples recognize this is not normal. This is, this is rare. We've never seen anybody live like this. We've never seen anybody connect with God like this. We've never seen anybody connect with people like this. There's something about this man that we crave. His way of life fascinates us. It captivates our imaginations, and whatever this man's figured out, we want that. And so they become his disciples. Now, he had many disciples, many, many, many disciples. But it's these 12 guys in particular who Jesus sets apart, and um, he begins to pour into, and it's these men who he's going to specifically commission to carry on his work. They're going to, through these men, there's going to be a new movement that's going to be initiated, that would eventually become to known as the way or what we might just simply call the Jesus way and and I love that it seems like that that term the Jesus way seems to be resonating with so many I I hear people sprinkling that into our conversations we've been talking about the Jesus way and it's not just me it seems like different people are picking up on that language I think it'd be spectacular if that just becomes part of our terminology becomes part of our vernacular we need to talk about the jesus way of life because that's what jesus was teaching these these 12 and that's what he wants them to teach others who are going to teach others who are going to teach others the jesus way of life and when you look at these 12 men what's interesting is that they're just ordinary people they are not religious scholars, they're not clergymen, they're not preachers, they're not superstars of formal religious training. They are fishermen, they are common tradesmen, ordinary people. But, but what's, what's also fascinating about them, we, we looked at this a few weeks ago, is that these 12 individuals come from the wide spectrum. They represent the wide spectrum of political ideology within first century Israel. So we saw this, that that you take, for example, a guy like Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew is working for Rome. He's on their payroll. He's collaborating with them, the enemy, these pagan, godless people. Matthew's part of that. He's, He's enriching Rome and he's enriching himself by exploiting his own people. So you have Matthew on one extreme and then on the other extreme you have a guy like Simon the Zealot who's part of this militaristic, nationalistic, theocratic, revolutionary force of guerrilla warriors who want to overthrow Rome violently. And so you have these two men who really could not be any further from one another on the ideological spectrum. And the rest of these men all fall somewhere in between these two polar opposites. And Jesus invites all of them to come and sit at his feet. And take the posture of a student an apprentice and to learn the jesus way of life and after three years following his resurrection jesus says now i want you to meet me on a particular mountain in galilee and so they gather together on this mountain in galilee and jesus assembles them he appears they 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 begin to worship him although some doubted some just had no clue what was going on they couldn't make sense of it And then listen closely to what Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And he says, now I want you guys to go out and make disciples in the same way that I've made disciples out of you. In these last three years, I've been teaching you how to live. I've been teaching you how to love indiscriminately. I've been teaching you how to even forgive your enemies and bless your persecutors. I've been teaching you how to care for the poor and the marginalized in your midst i've been teaching you to be patient under hardship i've been teaching you how to pray i've been teaching you how to be agents of healing and deliverance in the world i've been teaching you the jesus way of life and now you're going to teach it to others who are going to teach it to others who are going to teach it to others and here's the specific verbiage he uses he says go and make disciples of all nations, the goyim is the word there, Gentiles. Now, I know, you, I know that they heard it because somebody wrote it down, evidently, we read it. But it would take them like a generation to actually get it and start doing it, to start actually implementing this program. Early on in the book of Acts, you see it when this Christian movement first starts budding. Uh, it, it stays largely within the confines of Jewish life and culture. But eventually... It starts breaking out amongst Samaritans. Then it starts breaking out amongst Gentile proselytes, you know, that is uh, converts to Judaism. But then eventually it starts busting out amongst just raw, pure, unfiltered Gentiles start coming into this Jesus movement. And it starts causing a great deal of controversy in the early church because what Jesus was doing is he was reframing and reforming the people of God on a whole new basis. To belong to the people of God, No longer has anything to do with your ethnicity. Were you born Jewish or not? It's no longer going to be based on things like circumcision, which is the sign of the covenant. It's no longer going to be based on things like adherence to the law. All of those Sabbath and dietary laws, all that type of thing. No, now to belong to the community of God's people has a whole new basis. It's based on faith in Jesus as Messiah, It's based on baptism, which is the sign of the covenant, not circumcision any longer. And now it's going to be based on obedience to Jesus as Messiah. And you see each of those three elements in this great commission, the passage we just read. Jesus says, go and make disciples who are going to believe upon me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And number three, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says this at the very end. He says, and I'm not going to leave you. He says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. If you were here last week, and if you weren't here last week, go listen to that sermon. I am from the future. It was great. We talked about DeLoreans and time machines and all types of fun stuff. But, um, you know, one of the things we saw is that there's this current age, which is broken and damaged and defined by sin and death and disease there's this current age but there's also this thing we call the age to come where everything's going to be made right where God's going to just completely make everything whole the final reconciliation of all things and what we saw last week is actually these two ages overlap so right now we're living in this overlap where yeah things are still broken and damaged and disturbed but god's kingdom has already been, been ushered in upon the resurrection of christ so we belong to this age to come i'm not going to re-preach the message go and listen to it <laughs> yeah if you if you weren't here just on your own time go listen to it but what jesus is saying is listen until that time comes where everything's going to be made right perfectly here's your task and i want you to listen he says this is your assignment and this is the assignment of village Church. We are to go and make disciples, students, apprentices of the Jesus way of life. Not to just simply sign up the bus for heaven so that people can say, all right, I got my bus ticket. I got my bus ticket. I'm good to go. And I'm going to be on that bus for heaven when I die. Great. Glad to hear it. That is not our task. It is not our assignment. Our assignment is to become and embody the Jesus way and to pass it on to others, to make apprentices of Jesus' way of life. How many of you are with me this morning? So Jesus and the apostles preached the gospel as a way. What we've done in the broader evangelical community is we've turned it into a ticket And how many of you know there's a difference between a way and a ticket a way is a road that you travel it's it's a path that you hike it's a journey and yes there's a beginning there's a starting point everybody needs a starting point but you don't just start a journey you don't just start a hike you stay on the hike you keep going the whole thing is an adventure the whole thing is a journey but what we've done in the broader evangelical world and i don't want to sound Oh, I don't want to sound overly critical this weekend. <laughs> I don't like to be that kind of preacher. I'm not a, I don't want to be a curmudgeon. I'm too young to be a curmudgeon. <laughs> but sometimes in order to see and apprehend truth, we have to expose falsehood. And what we've done in the broader evangelical, broader evangelical world is we've turned the gospel into a ticket. All right, I got my ticket. I got my bus ticket. I'm just going to put it in my pocket. Keep it here. I'm good to go. I'm just going to sit around and wait, and when I die, I'm going to be on that bus. I got my time. I'll just keep it until I need to show it to somebody later, and then it'll come in handy. It'll come in handy after I die. But for now, I'll just keep it with me, and I got it. I'm good to go. And so what's happened is we've learned to see salvation as a status. It's static. Rather than as a lifestyle, a way of life, which is what we find emphasized in the New Testament. And this is why I think sometimes people get confused when they go over into Philippians and they see Paul saying stuff like this. Work out your own salvation. Present tense, with fear and trembling. Work it out. And we hear that and we're like, what is he talking about? Salvation, I already got that. I've already got acquired salvation, man. That was a long time ago. I remember the day, you know, whatever it was. June 7th, 1993. I walked into church and I heard a sermon and I responded and I prayed a prayer and I got dunked in water and I got my bus ticket. So I got my salvation. I, I'm ready to move on. I mean, that's, that's past. So what are you talking about, Paul? Work out your own salvation. What, what does that mean? What do you mean, Paul? And I think Paul would say, what do you mean, what do I mean? This is something you actually live. Salvation's a lifestyle. In the New Testament, salvation is... Is a past, present, and future thing. We were saved, we're being saved, we're gonna be saved. It's all encompassing, it's a journey, it's a it's an adventure, it's a lifestyle, a way of life. Here's another way of saying it. There is a difference between becoming a Christian and becoming Christian. How many of you know that? Here's another way of saying it. There's a difference between teaching people how to become a Christian and teaching people how to become Christian or Christ-like. And again, what's happened in my experience in the evangelical world, we have become experts at teaching people how to become a Christian. We're really good at that. Like, we turned it into a formula. You know, when I was little, it was the ABCs of salvation. Are you interested in becoming a Christian? Raise your hand. Pray this prayer with me. And and that prayer would encompass three things. The ABCs. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. died for your sins. Rose from the grave. Believe the right things. And number C, or letter C. I'll edit that out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Confess Jesus is Lord. Right? A, B, C. Say this prayer. Admit you're a sinner. Believe the right things. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Boom, you're a Christian takes less than 20 seconds. And we're really good at that. We're experts at teaching people how to become a Christian. And we love it, and we we especially love to track it and put it on spreadsheets and count it. But the emphasis of the New Testament is not so much how to become a Christian. It's how to become Christian, how to become Christ-like. And let's be honest, that takes a fair amount of time, doesn't it? like a whole lifetime and maybe even beyond that (laughs) now you have to of course beliefs you know we talked about beliefs beliefs are the right you, you have to you have to have the right beliefs we don't just if we're gonna follow jesus and imitate jesus We have to get Him right. We have to understand Jesus as He is. We don't want to just craft a version of Jesus as we imagine and and want Him to be. We have to believe certain things and understand certain things about Jesus. So beliefs are very important, but those beliefs are only important insofar as they are leading us into a proper imitation of Christ. But if we're not interested in that trajectory and becoming more and more like Jesus, then what good are the beliefs? They're no good at all. John puts it like this. He says, you can claim to believe in God, but if you're not on that journey, that trajectory of learning to love like God, he's like, I don't know how to say it any nicer. You're a liar. And James isn't any nicer about it. James is like, all of the demons believe the right things about Jesus. They totally believe it. it. Doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change the way they operate in the world. So these beliefs only matter insofar as they lead us into a proper journey of following Jesus. But if we're not interested in imitating Jesus, if we're not on that adventure, if we're not on that trajectory, the beliefs, the faith that we have is dead. It's useless. It cannot save anyone. And so the New Testament insists that what matters is to actually live the Jesus way. I mean, we're going to see it in the Sermon on the Mount. I can't wait to get to the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to see it. He, at the very end, he says it explicitly. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and what? Puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on the rock. Not just said a little prayer, puts them into practice. And then conversely, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a guy who builds his house on the sand. What matters is living the Jesus way. And... Uh, when we get into the, Be- the beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see clearly what the Jesus way is. And it's going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to challenge you. It's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge me. I think some of us, we're going to, we're going to see a clear glimpse of what the Jesus way entails. And we're going to have this reaction. We're going to say, man, did I actually sign up for this? I didn't realize that. You mean Jesus actually expects me to live this way? we'll save that for the coming months but for now let me just say two things about the jesus way number 1 the jesus way is deeply counterintuitive it's deeply counterintuitive in other words it's not the way that we're used to it's not the way that seems right it's it's not common sense in fact, let me just say, I didn't say this last night. Let me say it like this You cannot follow Jesus consistently and simultaneously follow the way of common sense consistently. There are going to be times Jesus will make radical demands upon your life that will go against the grain of common sense. Read the Gospels. The Jesus way is, is not the way of conventional wisdom. It's not the way that seems right to everybody. And I, when I say everybody, I mean everybody. I mean atheists and theists. I mean non-Christians and Christians. There's a certain way of life, a certain approach to life that we just, we're schooled in, we, we, we learn it from the very beginning, and we just, we can't help it. We just absorb it. And if I, I, if I were to put it into a sentence, at least the American version of it, I would say it like this, that... that um, The way that seems right to us is the way of achieving personal success and personal goals through the method of self-improvement. That I'm going to focus on myself, I'm going to focus on success, and I'm going to improve myself for success. And there are countless Christian versions of that and it seems right you know some of you you may even be watching this or listening to this and you're you're, you're thinking ryan is there something wrong with that and actually i don't have any comments on that I, I don't have a comment on whether it's right or wrong i'm not interested in whether it's right or wrong achieving personal goals through self-improvement does it work for some people i'm sure it does and for others maybe it doesn't some people do lose 30 pounds some people don't some people do make a million dollars and succeed some people don't for me it's not a matter of whether it works And it's not a matter of whether it's right or wrong I'm just simply saying to you it's not the Jesus way it's not the Jesus approach to life now I'm going to show you the Jesus way in just a moment but for now let's just work on this for for a minute let's think about this there's a certain way that we're schooled in it's 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 what is drilled into us from the very beginning and that what life is about is about establishing these personal goals and achieving these goals achieving these accomplishments Through self-improvement. And I can be honest with you and tell you, there's a lot of preaching that caters to that instinct. I don't want to sound too cynical today, but there's a lot of preaching that will cater to that instinct. Maybe even most of it. And I think it probably plays pretty well in a a city like Los Angeles. Because so many... So many people come here because they have personal goals they have dreams that they want to achieve they have a vision for their life that they want to accomplish and so they come to los angeles with these personal goals driving them and 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 so now their their focus becomes on how can i improve myself how can i build my body how can i sharpen my 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 body how can i uh, change my appearance become more attractive how can i sharpen my skills and and all of these things how can I improve myself maybe even my spiritual life maybe there's something in my spiritual life I can do to help me achieve these goals and so there are folks who will come into churches like these who who have this kind of approach to their life I'm glad they're here I want them here but 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 their approach coming in is I want to make something of my life I want to be someone I have goals that I want to achieve so maybe God can help me reach these goals and what, what perhaps some churches or pastors or preachers will do is they'll come alongside and say, well, that's what Jesus wants for you too. Here, let me show you how to do it with Jesus. And it makes sense to everybody. And it actually may work. It may be attractive. It may pull people in. It's exciting. And it seems right. It's common sense. But I'm here to tell you, it is not the Jesus way. It's the Caesar way with a Jesus fish slapped onto it with some bible verses sprinkled on top i know i'm new maybe i'm not supposed to say this type of stuff but (laughs) what's the jesus way well let's look at something out of jesus's mouth perhaps that'll help us matthew chapter 16 verse 24 then jesus told his disciples who did he tell his disciples, his students, his apprentices, they've signed up for this thing. He told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, my imitators, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, right here, we've got a problem because when we hear some of this language, like take up their cross, I do it, you do it, we all do it, is we we have this instinct to take that language and we translate it into religious thinking. And so we hear take up their cross and we think, oh, the cross, that's a a symbol of Christianity, of course. Well, yeah, I understand it would later become that. But when Jesus utters these words, it is not the symbol of Christianity. The cross is the Roman instrument of, of terrorism, of brutalization. They would use the cross to in a barbaric way, murder people who they deem to be insurgents. Anyone who opposes Caesar's way, anyone who refuses to fall in line with the Caesar way of running the world, we're going to put you on a cross. And so Jesus gathers his disciples and says, guys, it's time to take up our cross. You see, this is what we've got to understand about Jesus. He's not just a nice guy. Jesus was a resister. He opposed Caesar. He was, in a very real sense, a revolutionary. He was, you can even say Jesus was a rebel of sorts. But he was doing it in a way that that, that Caesar didn't understand. So Caesar says, or his empire, you know, represented by Pilate and Herod and people like that. Caesar says and communicates, Jesus, if you will not fall in line... If you will not assimilate into the Caesar way of running the world, we're going to force you on a cross. And Jesus says, all right, then I'm going to forgive you. You see, this is not common sense. This is not the way our instincts tell us to live. You understand that? Because Jesus, is, Jesus changes the world through the force of forgiveness, not by picking up the sword. Then he continues, verses 25 and 26. For those who want to save their life and improve their life, focus on their life, this is my life, I want to get it right, here we go, this is about me, this is about me and my goals and my achievement of success. He says they're going to lose it. And those who lose their life, not even, they're not even thinking about their life. How's your life going? I don't know. Not, not really thinking about it. Have you improved yourself? No, I, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not really thinking about that. I'm focused on Jesus and his kingdom. He says, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? So so the intuitive way of Caesar that just permeates our fallen world is the way of achieving personal goals through self-improvement. The Jesus way is the way of focusing on Jesus and others for the purpose of self-sacrificial love. So number one... I told you there were two things. Number one, the Jesus way is deeply counterintuitive. The last thing is this. The Jesus way is deeply countercultural. It's not just counterintuitive. It's countercultural. To say it another way, the Jesus way is not the American way. Now let me say this before I go on my little diatribe here. I love America. I've lived here all my life, believe it or not. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I'm a proud American. I'm glad to be here. There are a lot of great things about America. But what we've got to understand, and if we don't understand this, it's really going to put a lid on our our spiritual growth. We've got to understand that the Jesus way and the American way are not always perfectly in sync. Sometimes, perhaps, they can be diametrically opposed. Now, whatever the American way used to be, you know maybe that you could say the way of rugged individualism personal liberty land of opportunity all of that type of thing what what the American way has become in large part today is it's the way of consumerism we, we, we declared this morning we are not consumers we are worshipers and those are two totally opposite mentalities we don't come into village church with the idea of a consumer what can this church offer me how can this church meet my needs How can this church suit my preferences? We're not here to consume. That's what we go to the mall for. That's what we go to Amazon for. You go to Amazon to be a consumer, you come to this environment to be a worshiper. But in America, we uh, naturally, organically, we can't help it, it's what we've absorbed, is the mentality of a consumer. We shop, we buy stuff, that's what we do. We don't make stuff, we buy stuff. China makes stuff, that's their job. It's China's job to make stuff. Our job is to buy stuff. We are the shoppers. So we don't talk about domestic, gross domestic product. That's old school. We talk about consumer index. How much stuff are we buying? We're shoppers. We're consumers. And so what's happened as a result is we've, we've learned to see life as a competitive game. And the winners are the ones who buy the most stuff and the best stuff. Man, did you see what that guy's driving? Did you see that... Wow, what is she wearing today? Wow. And and we can't help it. This is just what we've, like I said, we've absorbed it from our culture. Culture is what you've learned without realizing you've learned it. So we just grow up, you know, our whole lives thinking everybody eats with a fork. And then you go to Kenya and you're like, uh, excuse me, can somebody pass me a fork? Fork, we're eating with our hands today, buddy. You're gonna eat with your hands. You gotta be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. Bring your hand sanitizer. Um, (laughs) Culture, what we learn without realizing we've learned it. And what we've learned in America without realizing we've learned it is we've learned to see life as a competitive game. And the winners are the ones who buy and acquire the most stuff and the best stuff. And what Jesus wants to say to us in the Sermon on the Mount is stop. Stop it. There's this really interesting episode in, I believe it's Luke 12, where Jesus is teaching. And right in the middle of his teaching, there's a guy that interrupts him. How many of you know you've got to have some audacity to interrupt Jesus? And just for the record, I hate to be interrupted when I'm preaching. it would be a good way to slip that in. Uh, But anyway, but this guy interrupts Jesus and... uh, and he, he, here's, here's what he says. He says, Lord, uh, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Now, if you're going to interrupt Jesus, chances are you've, you've, tr- you've tried to think it through. And you're pretty confident that it's going to play out a certain way. Like this guy, when he says this, he's probably pretty confident how Jesus is going to respond so here's his plan he thinks he's going to interrupt Jesus and say uh, Jesus tell my brother to share the inheritance with me here's how he sees Jesus responding you got to be kidding me your, your brother's not sharing it with you go find him let's just stop everything we're doing go find your brother bring him over here and the brother arrives and Jesus is like you wicked man you wicked brother share the inheritance give him some of your money that's how this guy envisions this thing going down That is not how this thing goes down. He interrupts Jesus and says, Lord, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And here's how how Jesus responds. This is not a paraphrase. This is verbatim. This is what Jesus says. Man, who appointed me as arbitrator in your case? Which totally deflates the guy. Jesus is like, I I don't care about your inheritance dispute. I'm trying to preach the word. I'm trying to preach about the kingdom here. So this guy is totally deflated, but at least he thinks he's just going to get off with that. And then Jesus says, and I'm going to tell you another thing. Beware of covetousness. Because even if you get that inheritance, even if you got the whole thing, even when a man has an abundance, your life does not consist in the things you own. And I think if Jesus were a guest speaker in any church of America today, I think perhaps he might say something like this. You American Christians, you've bought so much into the game, into the idea that your worth and your value and your identity is tied to the things that you own. And if, even if you win this game, you're, you're going to lose. Because even when a man has an abundance, everything a person could possibly want, your life does not consist in what you possess. You see, the Jesus way is so deeply counterintuitive and so deeply countercultural that we can only enter it through a daring leap of faith. When we get into the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes and beyond... I think if we're honest with ourselves, including myself, I think, I think we might have a reaction like, man, if this wasn't Jesus saying this, I would never consider living this way. I would never even think about living this way. But because it's Jesus telling me to do this, I think there's something to it. Because after all, God did raise him from the dead, which makes me think he has heaven's endorsement. I mean, Jesus shows up on the scene and he's teaching people the Jesus way of life. And what happens? The powers that be conspire together to crucify him. Why? Because Jesus, what he's doing is he's offering a prophetic critique of the way that the world was being presently run. And he was offering a different way, a new way. What um, Maximus the Confessor would call a new way of being human, a new way of being a person under God's reign a new way of living under God's society God's vision for the world and the powers that be I think rightly perceived Jesus's way to be a threat to their way and they understood they couldn't spell it out why they couldn't put it in a, 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 a you know a reports but they just instinctively know this guy's way of teaching and this guy's way of living It's a threat to the way we're running things. They conspire together to crucify him and they lay him in a tomb. But on the third day, the God of the universe raises his son from the dead, saying basically, he's right. And he's my son. And I'm elevating him to my right hand of power. And I'm going to put all of his enemies and make them a footstool. And the resurrected Christ calls forth his disciples, they meet together on this mountain in Galilee, and he says, now my disciples, now my apprentices, I want you to pass on the Jesus way of life. And I'm just telling you, I don't want you to go into this blind. I'm telling you, it is radical. It is counterintuitive. It is countercultural. But because our faith is in Jesus, we're willing to take the leap. Because this is not Buddha teaching us this. This is not Muhammad teaching us this. This is the resurrected Christ, and our faith is in him. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.